This is Lee Cure, a podcast for conversations from the heart of the continent on Indigenous languages, music, culture, and art in the age of reconciliation. Thank you, merci, and miigwech for listening. Anin Oju Tansi. I am Brina Link, the communications assistant for Lee Cure Heart of the North. And hello, I'm Hannah Connolly, the production assistant. To give some context to this podcast, Lee Cure, Riel's Heart of the North is a dramatic musical written by Métis poet and librettist Dr. Suzanne Steele and composer Neil Weisenzell. The words Lee Cure mean the heart in the Métis language of Machif. Dr. Steele is writing the text of Lee Cure in the indigenous language of Anishinaabe Moin, which is the language of the Soto and Ojibwe peoples, and three dialects of Limichifs, as well as French and English. This project is in collaboration with a large team of Indigenous translators, Deborah Beach Ducharme, Donna Beach, Dr. Agathe Chartrand, Joyce Dumont, Dr. Lorraine Cachula-Vallée, Suzanne Zecca, Dr. June Bruce, Jules Chartrand, and Verna de Montigny, as well as our archivist, Vic Froze. This musical explores the love and lives of Louis Riel's pre-resistant life the Métis and kin of the heart of the 1870s continent on fire with change. This production honors the enduring strength of Indigenous and Métis women. Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in today to listen to episode three. In creating this podcast, we are hoping to make space to explore the experiences of Indigenous and Métis creatives during this age of reconciliation. Our guest today, Will Goodon, has built a career with a combination of community service and entrepreneurship. He is currently the Minister of Housing and Property Management at the Manitoba Métis Federation and is an outspoken advocate for the rights of the Métis Nation. He resides outside of Brandon, Manitoba with his family. In today's conversation with Will, we discuss the importance of Métis culture in both the political and artistic spheres. We talk about how his heritage has influenced his positions within the Manitoba Métis Federation and also get some information about the new Métis Heritage Centre that is being built here in Winnipeg. Cool. So first, I have a very important question. Sure. Do you drink coffee and how do you take your coffee? Yeah, drink coffee. <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee um, and I am not that picky, but when I'm just at home, it's uh, one, uh, it's a lot, or let's say if I go to Tim Hortons, it's one large right. with one milk. Okay. Yeah. That's nice. I like it. Thanks. Not too flashy. <laughs> not six sugar and five cream. Yeah. <laughs> Some people like. <laughs> Starbucks is a little different, but uh, that's. Yes. That's yeah. Nice. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Cool. So do you want to just introduce yourself a bit to start off? Sure. Yeah. Um, so my name is Will Goodon, and currently I am the Minister of Housing and Property Management for the Manitoba Métis Federation. Um, I am a Métis citizen. Um, my community is the Pearl Mountains. Um, so I have uh, relations on both sides of the, the American Canadian and the American side. So that's basically where I'm from and, and, uh, you know, grew up in, in the, in the bush, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, just, it's, uh, it's just uh, awesome to be here with you guys. I just, uh, really excited about it. Awesome. Yeah. We're excited too. So how did you actually hear about the Lee Cure Riel's Heart of the North project? Was it just on social media or? Yeah. So I think the, um, 
Heart of the North had a Twitter account a while ago, and even before that, it, I don't, I can't remember exactly how it went. Um, but the, I can't remember the name of the fellow who. That would be Project Composer Neil Weissensel. I don't know if it came from me or came from them. <laughs> I, I reached out, or they reached out, and uh, I think I helped them find a, a fiddle player or two um, for the mm. musical, uh, Melissa St. Goddard, and. Uh, and then a little bit more help, I think, with uh, some midship speakers as well. But I can't remember exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of different moving parts. Yeah. yeah like really. this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Can you share a bit about your upbringing and family history and how it shaped your current work? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I enjoy talking about um, growing up. Um, you know, obviously there's some struggles, but there's um, a lot of good things that I had uh, Growing up, I'll just uh, say, uh, and it might be a theme uh, going through uh, the way that I talk about uh, where I come from is, you know, I thought that everybody uh, grew up that way. I thought everybody took a week off in November to go deer hunting. Uh, hmm. I thought everybody picked Saskatoons, you know, and, and I thought everybody had a big garden. And then, you know, when I went to university um, out, uh, I actually went to university out in Vancouver um, I realized not everybody does those things. So hmm. it was, you know, it was kind of a, a strange thing. And I suppose everybody who was growing up feels that way about their upbringing, you know, if it's good or bad or it's, or it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody just assumes the world is like theirs. But uh, yeah, anyway, so I, yeah, I grew up uh, in the Turtle Mountains on a lake called Sharp Lake. Um, it's uh, between the two towns of Deloraine and Boisevane. And um uh, Sharp Lake actually is the uh, is the name that's on it now. But I remember my dad telling me the story that the lake was actually called Longley Long Lake by the people because it was a very it was three miles long and and it was just very narrow and a mm-hmm. couple of uh, narrows that uh, you know the uh, uh, ducks used to fly through where we used to go hunting um, and uh, so yeah I grew up there on a farm. Uh, we had horses, we had cows. I always had a dog. Uh, always, uh, my first dog was probably still my very best friend. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and then I had uh, one sister uh, who I was living with, one sister who was older who uh, lived elsewhere. Um, but um, yeah, it was it was great. Like my dad taught me how to uh, fish and hunt and trap from when I was just a little kid. How to uh, you know, we set snares when I was just a kid, maybe five or six years old for rabbits, uh, uh, used the snowshoes. Um, and my dad was a hard worker. He uh, was an entrepreneur. But, um, you know, I, I look back now and I know that he took time to teach me those things. Um, you know, he always said, just in case, just in case you need to know um, how to do this or how to do that. Um, and, and uh, you know, simple things like when you're when you're hunting in the bush and you think about, um, you know, you get a certain sense on how you put your foot down on the ground. So when you, you're feeling on the ground before you put your full weight on it, you make sure that there's no twigs underneath it so that it, there's no noise when you are moving and you're trying to um, stay silent uh, for the uh, whatever animal that you're um, hunting at that time. Uh, you know, those things are, uh, again, you know, at that time, I thought it was, that's what everybody does. But, hmm. uh, you know, you know, when I'm taking my kids out um, just for walks, 
I feel the same way. I, I'm careful on how I put my foot down, how you put your weight down. Um, I know it's kind of, I'm going off on a tangent. You'll find I do that a few times today. But, that's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, just growing up on the lake, um, in the bush. Um, every, and the other thing about the growing up in Thrill Mountain, everybody was related. So everybody was a first cousin mm. or a second cousin. And <laughs> yeah. so we, you know, we're all, you know, there was big families. Our, my family wasn't that big, but everybody's family, my dad's family was big, um, and and my cousin's families were big. So everybody on our bus was related to me pretty well. Um, hmm. So that's, uh, yeah, it was, it's, it was good, you know, and, you know, obviously there's things uh, you, you don't get to do when you live out far, far away from the city, but uh, but there's things that you do get to do that, um, you, you know, you would never learn if you lived and grew up in the city. So it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So had your family always kind of lived in that area for many generations? Yeah. So obviously, uh, not obviously, but my dad grew up there. He he was uh, actually the, I still have a little piece of property on the end of the lake uh, mm-hmm. where my dad's first memory was. And mm-hmm. uh, so two or three years old, uh, living in, um, in a log shack with a sod roof, that was his first memory. And we built a little log cabin in that same spot. Um, and then his, um, mom, um, came from the American side of the turtle mountain. So, um, I got, I have relations on the, like Dunseith, Belcourt area. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, they're all Métis and they speak Machif on that side, but the, because there was no such category as Métis in the United States, they, um, had all joined the, uh, turtle mountain, uh, Chippewa band, Mm -hmm. um, so, but then my, my dad's dad was from Canada and, uh, he had moved around, um, I guess after the diaspora, there was, the family had moved in different places from, I think my grandpa was born in Elm Creek, but they lived in Sandy, uh, Lake for a while and, and moved in a couple of different places. And, and, uh, I guess he was just traveling, uh, through to visit his brother, um, and stopped in, uh, for tea at um at the uh, old uh, louis racine's place and before you knew it um, um he moved his mom and his sister back and everybody got married and that's why we're all cousins now so that's just sort of <laughs> the, the family story anyways yeah mm-hmm. that's really lovely hmm, that's cool yeah fascinating yeah. um so shifting to kind of your current uh i guess roles what what exactly do you do in the mf MMF and like what are the other positions that you've held because you've been involved for quite a long time yeah yeah that, that's again we could probably talk for a few episodes <laughs> on that, but um, yeah. I started you know I, I had uh, done some work with my dad's company um, wasn't feeling um, you know the, the right way at the time so I um, took a year off and went backpacking I come back obviously didn't have a job I went to Europe <laughs> a little Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the whole, uh, I, again, I don't know if it was a midlife crisis when I was 24, but that's sort of what happened. <laughs> Anyways, I, uh, um, came back and, and, uh, um, the fates sort of lined things up. Um, the, uh, former president of the MMF, Yvonne Dumont, uh, actually is married to my, uh, first cousin. And so, um, mm-hmm. we're good friends with, with him and, and uh, the MMF at the time was going through a really hard time. Uh, there was a big political split, um, and uh, the 
board at the time, the cabinet was split pretty much down the middle. Uh, mm -hmm. David Chartrand wasn't president yet, um, but he was the spokesperson of the majority of the board. And, uh, you know, there was a couple of introductions made and I started actually volunteering for the first three, four months. Um, and before I knew it, um, helping run his campaign, uh, obviously that first one was successful. Uh, he won the presidency and then I worked as his, uh, political assistant for oh, quite a few years. And at that time there was no money. Uh, we had no staff. I think there was three of us in the office at the time. Um, hmm. hard to imagine the MMF being that, uh, small, uh, mm -hmm. when you look at what it is right now with, I don't know, 800 plus employees, but so, wow. yeah, so that job, I, I, you know, if there's only three or four of us, you know, you do everything, right? So I got to, uh, to do all kinds of different projects and it's just so much fun. You got about 10, 12 balls up in the air and <laughs> I'll, I'll, every day I drop a couple, but you know, you still have eight balls in the air and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, yeah. So then, you know, moved through that, uh, started doing a, a little bit more work on the right side. I don't have any, uh, legal training, but uh, it always fascinated me, the, uh, you know, the Section 35 rights. But now I'm the Minister of Housing and Property Management. Uh, very happy to be in this position because there is so many exciting things happening with housing. Uh, it's one of the uh, most fulfilling things that I'm able to do. Obviously, you can't say yes to everybody, um, but we are able to help so many people now as compared to where we were 10 years ago. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really good. On the topic of you being the housing minister, which congratulations for your position, but what are some of the major issues that you're facing? Yeah, so there's a, it's a wide range of things. Of course, uh, I'm sure you guys know that uh, housing is a whole spectrum, right from home ownership, uh, home repair, uh, uh, affordable housing, uh, mm -hmm. social housing, and homelessness. Um, you know, homelessness is a different one because there's so many different factors besides just the shelter, the roof over the head. And, mm -hmm. and that's a, that's a difficult topic. And, and, uh, you know, there's something that, um, I have, I specifically asked my president, I said, I want to be able to do something with homelessness and yeah. we have, uh, we're developing a plan now. Um, and it's almost ready to be launched. Um, we're going to be, probably a little bit more specific than maybe Canada wants us to be. Uh, but, um, but you know, there's so many people to help on that side that, you know, it's, um, you almost have to say, okay, we're going to work with this sector and we're going to help 40 people. Um, and, and we're going to do that job really well, which is, I think where we're going to be uh, aiming our uh, efforts towards. But, um, you know, one of the things that uh, on housing, one of the things that our people told uh, our president, when we got the announcement in 2018 about the federal budget, there would be set aside money for Métis Nation housing first time ever, first time ever actually hmm. that the Métis Nation was was mentioned in the federal budget. So lots of firsts there. Hmm. Um, so one of the things that the people told our president and told me when I was uh, um, traveling with them across the province at that time, seniors housing one of the most important things. So we, we have uh, um, a, uh, what's the right word? We have a, a first project that we're launching. We're actually the, uh, from what I understand, the um, 
uh, ribbon cutting for the St. Laurent uh, Frank Bruce Seniors, Metis Seniors um, Complex is going to be on August 17th. Um, Yeah, there's nine units there and there's a community center. Uh, So we're really looking forward to that. They're putting the final touches on, um, you know, making sure that uh, the the landscaping is done and that kind of thing uh, right at the moment here. Mm -hmm. That's so awesome. I can definitely hear that you're very passionate about your work. Yeah. Um, So that's good. And what do you think is the role of the Métis culture in your in your role as the housing minister, like where do you kind of see those two things yeah. uh, intersecting? Yeah, so the Métis culture is, um, I think that's something we can never uh, forget when we're doing, you know, and it would be easy to forget when you're doing like bricks and mortar, you know, uh, electrical, plumbing, <laughs> uh, just fixing things up or building, a, you know, building a house. But, um, you know, when we, I'll just use, for example, the, uh, the seniors um, complex in St. Lorenz. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you have to make sure that you're working with the community and the community is what makes the culture. So, and, and especially in a community like St. Lorenz, where it's long historic ties to the Métis Nation, you know, one of the first uh, communities outside of Red River, um, you know, they, they still speak the language. They ever, you know, the, how many fiddle players come out of there and, and, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a vibrant, vibrant community. So you you want to make sure that all those things are, you know, it's like uh, it's like the threads of the sash that are intertwined with each other. Like it's not just the house, and it's not just the people, but the 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 language, the culture, the 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 way that we interact with each other is you know very unique as Métis people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know all those things have to be um, a part of it. And for me. Um, you know, we, it, it, for me, that cultural side is the reward for doing a good job. So when we mm-hmm. are able to, uh, build some housing, whether it's in St. Boniface or St. Laurent or Dauphin or the Paw, you know, when I get to go up to a community after and they have like a little celebration and they have a fiddle player in and some square dancers, that's, you know, that's, that's the reward for me because I get to, uh, I get to be happy with the people who are living in a new place. So yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, you know, it's just intertwined and I think it's who we are. Um, you know, as I said earlier on uh, at the very beginning, when, um, when I, when I grew up, I thought everybody did these things and everybody uh, ate deer meat and everybody ate fish. Um, so now, um, you know, we see that, how, how important that is. That's just who we are. We do those things and, and those things come naturally when you're, when you're with, and it doesn't matter if I'm in my home community of Trail Mountain or if I go to Patosh, um, you know, there's the same feeling. Like I was just in uh, Yorkton at a, a Métis celebration last weekend and just, mm-hmm. you know, all the old people were coming up and talking to me, um, you know, about their family trees and, and just the way they talk, the way they laughed, it's like, oh my God, that reminds me of my cousins. So hmm. you look like my cousin, you laugh like my cousin. So um, it, it was it was really interesting. Um, and I that stuff fascinates me, and it's something that I I look for and watch for all the time. It's it's, but yeah, you, you know, you want to do the tangible things, and that's I think um, mm-hmm. what housing would represent. Um, but you also have those intangibles that you have to. Uh, 
you know, I don't think if, uh, I don't think if the government of Canada were to come in and just go in and build housing in a, one of our communities that would go over nearly as well as if the people who know that community, if those people from that community are the ones driving those projects, then that's where the success is. And I think we've shown that on all different levels, not just housing, but everything that the MMF does. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Something we talk a lot about in peace building classes is the importance of grassroots organizations. And the, the what you were saying is exactly why they're so important, because they really have uh, they're really in touch with the people there and they can pay attention to the different nuances uh, of the community instead of just coming in um, and assuming that they know what's going on kind of thing. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even for us, we still need to make sure that we talk to the leadership. So um, mm-hmm. I can't go into a community without first going and talking to the leadership, uh, talking to the older people um and um you know talking to the people who are the decision makers um that wouldn't be wouldn't be right for me either mm-hmm. okay um this is kind of a two-in-one question how would you define okay. culture and what about contemporary culture <laughs> that's a, those are <laughs> a couple of good questions um for me you know and, and i've talked about this a lot um because there is a little bit of an issue going on these days, and, and it has been for the last few years, about uh, people who think that the Métis Nation is just about being mixed. And um, I'm sure you've probably read some of my social media posts where I push back against that, where I mm-hmm. talk about how the Métis Nation is a nation, and we are a people. We have distinct, uh, distinct markers, and I think those markers as what makes um, a big part of the culture. Um, the markers such as obviously our music, right? You got the, mm-hmm. uh, a friend of mine, Oliver Bullet, uh, does a little talk before he opens an event, uh, either with a prayer or with a fiddle. And he talks about how the creator has given different instruments to different indigenous peoples. And he talks about how the creator gave the fiddle to the Métis Nation. Um, so you have the, the fiddle. Uh, you ha- and then you have the dance that comes out of the the music that's made by the fiddle. You know whether it's the the jig or the square dance, um, those are all uh, very vital parts. So you got music, you got dance, you have distinctive clothing, you have uh, distinctive food. Obviously, language is incredibly important. Uh, the Michif language, uh, different um, uh, ways of speaking it in some of the different communities and different parts of the homeland. Um, but there are so many similarities that um, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, it, it, it is a distinct language. And obviously that is uh, borne out by the experts who have come from Japan, who have come from Denmark to study the specific uh, language and not just a dialect of French or Cree, but a specific new language that is called Michif. Um, you know, there's... Obviously- Michif is the language of the Métis people of Canada and the United States, who are the descendants of both Indigenous and European peoples. It is recognized as a mixed language, incorporating complex elements of the French and Indigenous languages from which it was born. Today, Michif is considered an endangered language as fewer than 1,000 people alive are able to speak it. 
An important part of the Lee Carrier production is highlighting and preserving the Michif language both within the dramatic musical and through the creation of an online language database. The database will feature videos and audio recordings of Michif translators along with other translations of Anishinaabe Moin, the language of the Soto peoples. And now, back to our conversation with Will about the Métis culture. So, you know, the culture is, is uh, you know, all those things. And I think, like I said, that those markers is what makes us a, a unique nation and a unique people. Modern culture, um, I think there's, I think, I think some of our uh, leadership is, you know, I don't want to say that uh, um, it's time for them to go because I think there's a lot that can be said uh, for the wisdom of people who have been around for a long time. But I think modern culture um, doesn't get quite the uh, uh, focus um, as, say, the old fiddle playing and the square dancing. Um, so if there is young people uh, who want to express themselves in new ways, I think that's fantastic. Um, I know that in the last two to three years, the youth movement with inside the Métis Nation, with inside the MMF has uh, really exploded and youth are uh, uh, finding that they have voices uh, that are important uh, and they need to be heard um, uh, because, uh, you know, and everybody says, oh, they're the leaders of tomorrow. I think that's a bunch of crap. I think they're the leaders of today. I think that they need to, um, that we need to be much more open, including myself. Uh, you know, I got two kids, 22 and 20, um, who teach me stuff every day. And I think um, rather than saying, oh, this is the way we've always done things, uh, I think we all need to be open to uh, what's new. Um, you know, and, and just social media is like a, a big example. Social media, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it really wasn't on the scene at all. Uh, but now that's how communication is done. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there's... There's a lot to be said about learning about the new ways of doing things. So if there's, you know, I look at, uh, and I'll just use an example. There's a, a couple of uh, um, really good um, a family, uh, the Harris family. They do, the, uh, they're excellent dancers, Métis dancers. Well, a couple of the, uh, I think all three of the, the kids um, have gone out and are adapting the Métis jig into uh, new style into the new styles of music, new styles of dance, and inventing uh, the uh, a brand new uh, way of of moving, a brand new way of uh, you know putting these things together. I think that is fascinating to me, and I think it's uh, uh, something that needs to get more uh, airplay, more uh, more broadly uh, seen by uh, more people, especially the decision makers. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think. I think we, you know, culture is a, it should be a living thing. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be uh, archaeology. It's something that we need to uh, carry on and yes, celebrate the past, but let's, uh, you know, let's, let's do what we have to, to keep it alive for, you know, the next hundred years. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 I totally love that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's so important because otherwise we can be fighting to keep uh, the beautiful traditions of the past, but eventually people are going to lose touch with them if they're not relevant in some way. Not to not to negate them or anything like that, but you have to incorporate them into our world today in a way that makes sense. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, kind of talking about the role of culture and the Métis community, um, how would you say that plays into the truth and reconciliation process, especially the process that's really trying to preserve uh, the rights of Indigenous people? Yeah. Um, you know, if you think about the Métis culture and, you know, there was obviously and, and the history of the Métis Nation, um, especially during the dark times uh, where people would not identify um, as Métis. Mm-hmm. I, I know my dad tells a story when they were kids, just little kids, um, and they would take the horse and horse um, team and the, and the sleigh or the wagon, they'd go into town and um, the town kids would chase them around, call them dirty half breeds and a few other things. And, 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 you know, my dad would tell the story. He would say, no, 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 we're not half breeds. We're not um, savages. We're, uh, we're French because their language, mm-hmm. the midship language had some French words in it. No, no, we're not, we're not that we're French. Um, and then when my dad uh, was raising us, he taught us to be proud of who we are. He, he wanted us to be the exact opposite, not to be ashamed of who you are, but to be proud. Um, and, and that was, you know, put in me in a very young age. Um, now the, the, so what I'm saying is that it's the culture that kept things alive during that black period. So if there was no, uh, you know, there was the kitchen parties where they would have the, the fiddle and the dances, uh, they would move all the furniture to the sides and they would have these things, um, you know, almost in secret. So that culture kept the, uh, uh, that culture kept the, uh, 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 the, the, the nationalism alive as well. Um, with regards to the, you know, the, uh, reconciliation, the idea of reconciliation, um, you know, that, you know, if you couple the idea of what happened with the residential schools and my, I know my grandfather went to a residential school in Canada and my grandmother went to a residential school in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, I know my grandfather ran away when he was in grade three. Um, And he went back and got his little sister because he knew what was happening in those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Dad never talks about it because I don't think my grandpa ever talked to them about it. But you can see some of the pain still through the generations. Um, it, um, you know, the the idea of reconciliation uh, with the culture, uh, the, the the why why I'm trying to put these things together is is that the culture was almost uh, there was a almost a literal attempt to try to erase those things. You can't speak your language. Um, you know, that you have obviously the physical and sexual abuse that went along with uh, some of those schools. Um, and, and the people and people who aren't who didn't live through that, or their uh, ancestors, their, their moms, their dads, their grandmas, grandpas didn't live through that. Um, they would have no understanding of why uh, the culture is so important, the pride in who you are, you know, going back to the idea of, you know, my dad denying who he was, is that's part of it. 
you're, mm-hmm. you're, you, if you're denying that you're Métis and you're saying that you're French, then you are denying your whole nation. You're denying your whole culture um, and you're denying yourself. Um, so that sense of self-worth is like, is gone. You, 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 you don't have any, so you are then that lowly person. You're less than, than the other people, the other Canadians who are, uh, you know, voting for their representatives in Ottawa. Um, so, you know, the idea of, of keeping the culture alive or reviving it, uh, making it, uh, acceptable, uh, brings back this pride. Um, uh, not only in the nation, but in yourself. And uh, for me, um, uh, mental health is such an important thing. If I, if I wasn't the minister of housing, I would be, I swear I would be pushing so hard on mental health. Um, I know that Tristan DeRocher in Saskatchewan is pushing the idea of youth suicide. That just breaks my heart. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. and I, had um, ideas and thoughts about suicide when I was at a very low point in my life. Um, I had help, um, people helped me, um, but I could have gone a different way. And, and so that's why it's so personal to me um, that we, we reach out, um, that we have this idea of loving yourself, of having self-worth rather than having self-hate. Um, and that self-hate can come from a lot of places, including the, the loss of your culture. So if you have a culture, if you, you know, uh, people, uh, you drive around these days and you see Métis flags almost everywhere uh, in every community that you drive through in, in uh, for sure, in, in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and, and a lot of Alberta, um, they would have never done that uh, 25 years ago, but today they can. And so they're, they, they're, their sense of who they are, their community, their nation is important now. So now all of a sudden they have that self-worth and they can be, um, they can be important um, even in their own minds. Like it doesn't matter what job you have, you know, you can be an important part of of your community, important part of your nation. Um, I was just going to say, I really appreciate you sharing your battle against mental illness, Will. Um, It's not for me myself with after my degree i do plan on working as a liaison between the government of canada and canada in general within the mental health issues in the northern and urban areas of indigenous youth and our people so i just really i love that there's now other than our our fiddler tristan de roche who is doing the walk there is and now is doing the hunger march there is also hope for darkness who is also doing a walk across canada for the youth mental health so I think it's slowly right. becoming something. And I think that it's really great that more people that stand against it and want to help, the more, the better. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I, yeah, it would be, it would be something I think we should all do and, and, and do like, we can't all um, be there and in the front lines, but we can do, uh, some of us can do some support in the back, back lines as well. So can you maybe tell us a bit about the, Métis Heritage Center that is going to be coming up. Yeah, yeah. So this has been a long, long, long time coming. Uh, As I said, I had, you know, I've been uh, doing different capacities uh, for the Métis Nation for a long time. And I remember back in 2002, um, there was a discussion, there was a paper, (laughs) there was a proposal presented to Canada at that time to have a national Métis museum. 
And even back then, the idea was that it would be in the Red River, that it would be in Winnipeg. Um, you know, obviously different governments uh, came and went and came and went. Uh, that one uh, didn't see a lot of traction. Uh, just to, as a quick aside, in that one, there was a an idea to put a statue of Louis Riel on Parliament Hill, too. I don't know hmm. where that ever went, but I, I'm not sure. Um, that's not part of this one. But anyways, that was uh, just a little aside there. Uh, so this one, um, this has been uh, talked about between the Métis Nation and Canada for a few years now, uh, probably since the Liberal government came in where it became a priority again. And uh, one of the things, you know, there was different iterations uh, for this. Uh, at one point, it was going to be a building built at the site of the Upper Fort Gary Gate, um, but there was some... Uh, I, you know, I'm sure you can't believe this, but there are some politics that were involved in that. <laughs> yeah, no that, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and then, uh, then there was a few other sites that were talked about, considered. Um, and when, you know, this, um, when the Bank of Montreal made their announcement a while ago, I think it was a couple of years ago, that they were going to be moving uh, from Portage, Maine. Um, I remember talking to my president saying, hey, like, this is an idea. Why don't we think about this? And he, he was lukewarm to the idea at the time, but he was interested. Um, you know, obviously the money has to be right. A lot of things have to be right in order to make a deal like that. Um, but they slowly started having these conversations and uh, it uh, came into uh, fruition, obviously, a couple of months ago. Um, I was so, so proud to be there when that, uh, when that happened. Um, now... Um, this is a, you know, if you can't hard to think of a more symbolic place than Portage and Maine in Winnipeg to have a, uh, a national, uh, Métis heritage center. Um, you know, there's, uh, I think there's a lot of work that's going to need to be done, uh, in order to, uh, make it into, uh, the vision of what the whole Métis nation would see fit. Um, but I think, again, the symbolism is just tangible. Like you can just feel it, um, that there's, uh, going to be some, uh, incredible things that it could mm -hmm. happen in that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Recently you posted about the restoration of a beautiful beaded jacket, mm -hmm. uh, from the 1870s on Twitter. That's really yeah. interesting because our opera takes place at the same time as the jacket was being made. The women yeah. who processed the hides, who sold the jackets, who beaded those jackets, who sold those jackets, and the buffalo <laughs> hunters who wore those jackets are major yeah. subjects of this opera. Why do you think cool. it's important, an important art to preserve? Yeah, you, uh, just a quick little story on that jacket. So, um, you know, uh, not this year, obviously, but uh, in the last few years, I travel a lot. Um, doing a lot of different things and, and I think I was in some hotel room late at night couldn't sleep so and I don't really go on this app very often but I did that night I went on the Etsy app and I always do a search for me team and I was scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and then I saw this I'm like holy what you know just uh, where did this come from because I hadn't seen anything like that before I, I check on eBay I check on others uh, as well but I found this one and um, uh, I don't know, it was like midnight, but I texted the president. I texted uh, this uh, professor friend of mine. I texted um, 
uh, or sent an email to uh, Janine Crouchy, who's done so much beadwork, uh, one of the best in the world, um, and and asked them what they thought. And, um, you know, by the next morning, I think I had permission to buy it uh, for the price that they had asked for. So we uh, bought it, um, got it uh, shipped over. Um, at that time, it was going to be a part, uh, it was, you know, obviously the um, it's owned by the Manitoba Métis Federation, but at the time uh, we were going to have it as a, one of the exhibits for the 150, Manitoba 150 at the mm-hmm. Big Art Gallery that, um, that uh, um, was being put on by a couple of uh, Métis art curators. And uh, obviously the, that uh, is postponed. I think it's actually postponed until 2022. Um, but in the meantime, we took it to the Manitoba Museum had it cleaned, had the hide cleaned, had each, uh, they, they painstakingly cleaned every single bead. Uh, wow. Yeah, just by hand, I think the Q-tips and some sort of solution. Um, and and it, uh, it, the before and after pictures are amazing. Uh, the beads just pop now, they're so beautiful. And so when I posted that, I had just picked it up from the museum so proud um you know it's, it's not mine but i i like to think that it's partly mine because i found <laughs> it but, um, yeah yeah exactly so um but that you know could be uh, you know i think it will be one of the centerpieces for our new museum um our new heritage center it's it's you know a beautiful example of uh um, of Métis beadwork. And from what I understand, and I might be corrected, it uh, is, uh, the, the provenance is obviously hard because it was in a collection in rural England. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, obviously from the, uh, the, the, the era that the experts uh, are telling me is around the 1870s. Um, mm-hmm. And they figure Red River. Um, now there's obviously would be some people could say it might be someplace else, but it is, uh, it is a, uh, for sure, uh, Métis crafts person who, who made that, um, it is amazing to look at. It's amazing to see in person. It's very small, actually, if, um, you know, hmm. I, I wouldn't be able to fit it. Uh, it's a very small, uh, obviously they were, um, smaller people at that time and uh, whoever wore it uh, was um, uh, you know either uh, working hard in the buffalo hunt or, or didn't eat as much as we eat these days but uh, mm-hmm. uh, it, it is it is something to see there's no doubt about it yeah no I I haven't seen a lot of uh, beating myself but it's something that I know the Lihir opera t- is really actually features um the women and their work with beading. So yeah. I'll be excited to see it hopefully when the Métis Heritage Centre opens up. Yeah, and I got, uh, quickly, I got, uh, I got, I, I bought myself a vest uh, by uh, Métis mm. artist Lisa Shepard. And I'm, I'm proud to be uh, the owner of that because she is a, an amazing, uh, she's amazing Métis person, Métis woman, uh, Métis artist. Like she's, uh, she's super, She's just super awesome. She's a good friend of mine, and I just uh, want to brag about her a little bit. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, this conversation. Um, yeah, I feel like I've learned a lot mm-hmm. just about the MMF and about 
yeah, the Métis culture in general. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a delight to have you. Yeah, well, thanks to both of you. Um, this is my first podcast, and <laughs> I've been bragging about it to a few people already. <laughs> uh, you know, I think this is a fantastic medium to reach out to people and talk to people about the Métis Nation. And I think it's something that we should be doing more, but I'm really happy that you guys are doing it. So uh, mm-hmm. thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here. Oh, well, thank you. Awesome. Well, have a great day. Thanks. You too. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Well, I feel like I learned a lot from that conversation with Will. Um, it was really interesting to hear about, yeah, someone who's very involved in the local government, government, um, but also has his own interests and his own ways of contributing to the Métis community. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that stood out to you, Brina? Absolutely. First thing was his vulnerability to express that his battle with mental health. For someone Mm. coming from such a significant figure in our community, it's really outstanding that he's standing there proud to say he's battled mental health, recovered from it, and also wants recovery for the people that don't have it. To me, that's a big stance and it's a really big issue within our communities. Yeah, really inspiring to hear him share about his own struggles and also just his passion for that issue. Now it's time for a segment we like to call Anishinaabe Moen Phrase of the Day. Giziwa Diziwin. Marse, thank you, and Miigwech for listening to the Likir podcast today. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram, we are Heart of the North Riel. On Twitter, we are at Louis Riel, H O T N. And on Facebook, our page is called Riel Heart of the North. We hope you have a wonderful day. <laughs>